You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up here! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. in this episode and give you that insight into that. I want to talk to you about a couple things real quick. Don't fast forward through this pre-roll. This is important information. First thing I want to tell you is Freedom Hunters and Houndsman XP have expanded their relationship. I am now the official coordinator for all Houndsman XP Freedom Hunters Hound Adventures. It's so easy to host an event like this and we made it easier for you by being able to contact me directly. And I've got my own email address, at Freedom Hunter. That email address is houndsmanxp at freedomhunters.org. That, again, that's houndsmanxp at freedomhunters.org. You can drop me an email and let me know that you're interested in hosting an event or get more information about hosting an event, and I'll get right back to you. So make sure that you record that keep track of that but we are going to blow the lid off of these hound adventures for america's finest 
warriors and veterans, their family members. Don't miss out. This is going to be a great thing for the hound hunting community, our lifestyle, and how we present ourselves to the public. I also want to talk to you about joining your state hound hunting organization. Your state organization is your first line of defense for protecting, promoting, and preserving our lifestyle. That's why Houndsman XP is donating back. We are supporting you as houndsmen with your state hound organizations. We've already sent merchandise out to Utah. We're sending some to Alberta, uh, but we can't do that without your support. We need you to uh, support us and join those state organizations. But the way you can support us is through our Patreon account. We want to give back to you the lifestyle. We want to keep the lights on, but we want to invest in your lifestyle. So join us on Patreon. We are giving away prize packages every month. We're giving away a bigger prize package semi-annually. We're giving away a huge prize package annually. So you can find out how to support us through Patreon by going to our website at houndsmanxp.com, clicking on the support button, and it'll take you right into our Patreon page. You're going to join a great community of houndsmen who are stepping up to support this podcast because they know we are going to support them back. And you're going to get cool stuff uh, when you join and then you're going to be eligible for monthly drawings. But besides that, it enables us to support you back at your state level and support freedom hunters. So we are trying to do great things, bigger things than just keeping the lights on around here. We're trying to invest back in our lifestyle. That is so important to us. Okay. Here's what's on the podcast, folks. We're taking you in the truck for a bear hunt in Idaho with Michael Ritchie Jr. Michael Ritchie is a third-generation outfitter. His grandfather was an outfitter. His dad was an outfitter. And now Michael is an outfitter. So you're going to enjoy this. You're going to hear about Michael's adventures. You're going to hear us talk about just general hound stuff in the truck as we cruise through the mountains of Idaho, but you're going to hear about Ritchie Outfitters and Steel Creek Outfitters. Check them out on the web. Find Michael Ritchie Jr. on Facebook. He also runs Old School Houndsman on Facebook there. That's a group. And uh, check it out. But you're going to enjoy the podcast. And as always, thank you for your support. But most importantly, thank you for spending your time with us at Houndsman XP. You're driving a lot more careful than you were yesterday. Yeah. A little greasy this morning. Yesterday was, uh, of course, we're on a pretty good road here. I'm sure when we hit the trails, then my butthole will be puckered again. <laughs> it wasn't too bad yesterday. Just that one, like, seven-point turn. Yeah, 32-point turnaround we got there. Yeah. And there's, like, a turnaround uh, 50 yards behind us, and I was trying to figure out why you weren't using it. Yeah, I'd have got out and moved that log. Yeah, so we could use that. <laughs> I'll have to remember that for today. But uh, so we are rolling through. What is this salmon area here? Salmon Chalice. Yeah, Salmon Chalice National Forest, and I brought a couple dogs out for uh, Michael to to look at and see. And 
And uh, well, we're out here chasing bears. That's right. You're a third-generation outfitter, right, Michael? Yes, sir. My grandpa uh, started, well, he did it for about 50 years. He kind of ended and handed everything over around 91, 92. Uh, my dad's still, still going strong, and I've recently purchased my own outfit here about three years ago and have... Uh, been carrying on stuff myself yeah i mean you guys uh, so you guys operated did your grandpa establish the area in the cellway yes sir yeah. we uh he was on the upper end of the cellway and uh dad's dad's kind of more down in the middle middle of the cellway now kind of smack dab in the middle and then uh my area is actually in Montana. Hey, listen to this. Listen. You hear that? Hear that clicking sound? Yeah. That's me putting some juice on a plot <laughs> for loose parking in the box. Yep. He's wound up this morning. But, yeah, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're all right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I guess I pride my, my outfit on a lot of family history and a long long time of knowledge and experience behind it yeah he i met your so it's richie outfitters out of salmon idaho right yes sir yeah and uh we may end up with a bear strike right in the middle of this thing but we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna record this thing on the move and uh see what we get but i met i met your grandpa and your dad in 93 when uh i hunted with scalcaho outfitters john rose's outfit when I came out and lion hunted, and uh, I was really impressed with your dad, and and hunted with him. He had a good line of hounds. They're hammerbred blue ticks from from back in my neck of the woods, my region. Uh, but yes, they were sir, just, I think they, uh, you know, they were Dave Dean dogs, and I believe Dad's original dogs that he got from Dave were out of would have been like Hammer Ten, Hammer Number Ten. Um, is what I remember yeah. growing up. Yeah. You know, Dave passed, and, and so there's no more original Dave Dean dogs. There's a few guys that are that are trying to stay pretty true. And, uh, you know, you got John Steber down in, in southern Illinois, heavy hammerbred dogs. Ken Herman is uh, carrying on kind of kind – of, I don't know what the situation was there, if he, he you know, if he inherited dogs or – or what that situation is, but I know Ken is trying to maintain that that yeah. hammerbred line of dogs. So yeah, I looked Ken up here a while back, and look, you know, it looks real the same same yeah. look of dogs and everything. And I think I think I did read on there that he had quite a few of Dave's Dave's dogs that after he passed, he kind of carried it on. Right. Well, your grandpa. Let's get back to let's talk about Richie's. Uh, your grandpa's still alive. Yes, sir. He just turned 90 here in May. Yeah, and he, he looks the same as he did when I met him <laughs> 20 years ago when he was 70. Yep. Um, his uh, This mountain living can kill you or it can, it can preserve you. I'm not sure which one. It tried to kill me yesterday. Yeah. It, that was just a little bit short walk. It, uh, 
the curve is a lot sharper. <laughs> when you hit when you hit fifty, the the curve gets real sharp. Yes, sir. <laughs> but it probably when you're from back east and you haven't lived in it your whole life, it, it gets a lot sharper. I can tell you that. Is that a strike? Uh, let me look over here. Looks look. like we got some deer tracks going down the edge of the road. Yeah, I see deer tracks, but. He did this to us yesterday, too. And we rigged that bear twice yesterday. Yeah. Rigged it down below and then <clears throat> moved around on top and caught the wind coming out of the canyon. But, uh, yeah, this is. They're working it. Yeah, I think my pot liquor is booger barking off of whining, I think. But. Well, we may be correcting some dogs and we'll just break the podcast wherever we need to on this thing <laughs> but uh we had some good conversations yesterday about being outfitter being an outfitter and and uh one thing's i want to ask you i mean you guys you guys have been hound hunting for how long out of here you've been doing it your whole life i got pictures of you <laughs> when you were four years old in the front of your dad's truck i think that was like the, what was that an 81 or 82 ford truck yeah and uh, you got a fist full of Twizzlers in each hand. You're double fist and strawberry Twizzlers. <laughs> I still love Twizzlers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know Grandpa had hounds and he ran hounds. I, I never was a part of or wasn't old enough yet to be a part of Grandpa running dogs. But um, I, I got lots of pictures of him and stuff with hounds. He never had... To my knowledge, never had as many hounds as we have. He always, you know, stuck to two or three, and you know, and ran the dog hair off of them. And he um, caught game with them, right? Yes, sir. And Dad, you didn't call me sir all day yesterday, <laughs> so don't be putting on the big radio production voice yeah. here. <laughs> um, yeah, Dad just. I think I can't remember for sure what age Dad got hounds, but I know it was pretty young. And all growing up, I remember Dad having somewhere between five and fifteen hounds all the time, um, pretty regularly, steady around the ten mark. Um, he's a little under that nowadays, but a lot of that's due to. I don't know, getting older and not having the time to run as many dogs as he used to. Right, right. Well, you guys are kind of out of the blue tick, the pure strain blue tick hound these days. Yeah, Dad's Dad's hammer line kind of came to an end, and uh, we had a bunch of hard luck one year. He got two, two of his male dogs, well, I think two of his last male dogs he had got cancer, and ended up having to put put them down before we ever got anything bred and and I ended up with uh, a couple of males and we really didn't have anything to what was that rock chuck oh rock chuck I just saw the tail of it heading off the end we really didn't have oh we got a rock truck yep we got a rock chuck strike <laughs> trashy plot hounds I need to tighten up a collar I'm gonna let this thing roll while I'm jumping out of the truck. You okay. guys are getting. We're gonna give them the full, full blown experience here. <laughs> the old trash strike. Yeah. Hang on, I'll be right back. 
Chris is doing some reprimanding. after tightening that collar down. If that doesn't make contact, <laughs> I'm gonna have to shave some hair off, I think, because that thing's tight right now. But I'm sorry, what happened to the hammer line your dad had? Um, dad's dad's male end of it kind of, we lost several dogs in the same year and kind of just didn't foresee that happening. And the males that I had were too close to go back to his females, so. Um, I put my last two males down about two years ago, three, two years ago, I guess, and uh, oh, got. Well, I have a cousin in out in Oregon, and uh, he raised some real nice Walker dogs, and uh, we kind of picked up a few of them here and there, and some other Walker dogs, and from friends of ours in the area where we're at and uh, the only blue tick I think we got left between the two of us is I have a half walker half blue tick cross in the box here with us and then uh, that I got from my cousin and it's kind of the last of his line he kind of well he's getting he's getting close to 60 and his line kind of came to an end too and then dad has one old blue tick female left that is hammer bred, but she's she's pretty well at the end of her career. Yeah, how old is she? I think she's ten or eleven. Okay, so but she's, she's got she's got quite a few health problems. So she's too old to be he's, not in good health. To be he hunts away. her. Um, so, somehow or another, I think she got an eardrum blown out a few years ago, and she has a lot of trouble deciphering which direction the other dogs are and a lot of times she'll just go off out into space and not use her nose to find them and then you're running around for a couple of days looking for her trying to get in front of her and gather her yeah. up <laughs> I, I've had I've had a couple dogs that have done that over the years and it seems like when they hit that 10 or 11 year stage I had a female blue t or a red bone and when babe got to be I don't know she's probably 10 or 11 you know, she just kind of started doing her own thing, too. But I think that hearing thing has got something to do with it because she was deaf as a post. And, and so she didn't know what – she was just out doing her own thing. And then uh, the Rock Creek Charlie Pride dog that I showed you a picture of yesterday that was out of uh, Hearn's Red Eagle Dick when when Charlie got to be older than, than – uh, but I think they might be a little bit like people, too. You know, as we get older, we just start doing our own thing. <laughs> <laughs> get a little selective. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It's like, I don't have to listen. I don't have, I've done my life thing. So, so, so let's, let's kind of lay out where we're not, we're not going to divulge where we're <laughs> at specifically, but uh, kind of lay this landscape out a little bit for our listeners. So how high are we right here? We are at 6,800. 
Yeah, six to eight hundred um, feet. There's a lot dropping, of lodgepole pine. Down. I see a few yellow pine now as we're moving in, but it's uh, it's pretty heavily treed right here. Yep, real heavy timber, and here in a couple miles, you'll be right out in the sagebrush and cliffs, and right out on the river breaks again. I kind of like um, it up here. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's, it's rolling, and there aren't any of those death-defying steep inclines yet. The walk down yesterday wasn't bad. Yeah. Let's talk about that bear hunt a little bit. Because we did tree one yesterday. Yeah. Good-looking good cinnamon face color bear. Yeah. Did you get some good pictures? Of I did, and I'll uh, I'll get those forwarded to you, and so you can have them. And yeah, I saw you break out the break out the camera. And yeah, the big old photos. photo lens. So we're rolling up a road yesterday, and uh, we got a strike. And an elk. Oh yeah, stand right out, right below the, right below the timber line. <coughs> Let's see what that is. I'm not sure why my collars aren't working, but uh, we're gonna have to rectify that because he's driving me crazy today. Yesterday we didn't have a trash strike on anything. It's a lone cow. I don't see a calf with her. He might be laying there right behind that bush or something. Yeah, she's probably not far from it if, if she looks she's like she's got still one. a little bit bellied down, so she may not have calved yet. Yeah. She did, her sides don't look sunken in at all. Yeah, nice. But there's a ton of game here. I've been impressed with. We saw bighorn sheep yesterday and, and uh, deer, whitetail and mule deer. There's obviously bears here. and We were rolling up that, that bottom road yesterday and the uh, rigged that bear and couldn't get it lined out. And then we went around on top and got another hard strike out of, out of the box. Not this nervous barking you're hearing in the box right now, but <laughs> it actually sounded purposeful. And yeah, we should. I should have kept my my uh, lineup I had yesterday. We had a pretty good lineup. Everybody got along and everybody tuned into each other. So. These ones, this female I got in the box, she's super good, but she's real competitive. She don't want to get beat to a track, don't want to get beat to a strike, and it, it's aggravating sometimes hunting with other people and other dogs. Yeah. yeah. I think I, if I had to guess, I'd say that's what yours is kind of doing too is she's whimpering and wanting to kind of false strike, and he's, not wanting to get beat either. Right, Cajun's, Cajun is a little bit competitive himself. Um, but yeah, we had a, a good solid strike yesterday and uh, put two dogs on the ground and they lined it out and we dumped the rest in minutes later. And uh, I actually think the first two dogs had it treed before the other dogs even hit the track. Yeah, that's what, that's what my um, thought was on it too. And but it was still good to get those other dogs in there. We didn't dump the box. How much restraint did you show not dumping the box? A lot. <laughs> I'm I'm a reckless, reckless box dumper from way back. <laughs> My theory is if you're going to have a wreck, have a big one. Um, but no, I I try to make myself dump one or two dogs and let them get it started. But usually what happens to me is I dump the wrong two dogs and i don't trust them out front so i just dump them all yeah yeah well you know in all honesty i mean the, the 
the two plots that. There you got some juice. Yeah, he got it. Made contact that time. Got his attention. That was a little higher than what you would probably have used, Jared Moss. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but desperate measure, desperate times call for desperate measures there. So, but uh, yeah. So I mean, they're not they're not bear dogs, and uh, I've never said they were, but they've got really good solid breeding behind them, and and. Uh, so I wasn't completely comfortable. I told you yesterday, if they strike out of the box, I want to make sure that that <laughs> your stuff's striking too. Yeah, and and there was a couple strikes there where mine, not that mine are bulletproof either, but uh, mine weren't either weren't picking it up or weren't sure about the strike, and and we kind of investigated, and it didn't turn out to be anything. And then when that when it did hit it was you could tell it was you? solid yeah. yeah you knew you knew and it was everybody it wasn't just one or two in the box it was everybody was all on board yep yep so so tell i'm gonna shift gears here a little bit i want to know about the outfitting business you guys have been outfitting for you know your grandpa what 50 years ago right i would say i've never nailed down when grandpa started but the nearest I can tell is somewhere in the mid to late forties. You guys, um, you guys do full service, full service hound hunts. Yep, we do pretty much everything that is legal to hunt: um, bear, lion, wolf, bobcat, elk, deer, moose, and goat, sheep. Um, if if somebody's lucky enough to draw one of the three most sheep or goat tags um there's we kind of have divided a little bit i'm a little bit on my own now um but i still work for dad a pretty fair amount in the backcountry and i i run most of the backcountry lion hunts for him mm -hmm. myself and uh how long is it how long is about if somebody called richie outfitters or um, you do lion hunts through your outfit, yeah. though, too, right? Mine, mine is Steel Creek Outfitters. Right. And uh, yep. we both have websites. And you're out uh, of Darby. I'm out of Darby, Montana, yeah. Yeah. And so how many day hunt is that? If somebody's going to listen to this podcast and say, man, I want to go hunt with Michael Ritchie. Um, my backcountry hunts are 10 days. That's a day flying in, a day flying out, and eight full days of hunting. Um, and most of the backcountry hunts in the wintertime, you know, are on foot. You know, we have a, a wall, wall tent camp with wood stoves and cots, and it's, it's a fully furnished camp. Um, and then, you know, we, we set out on foot every day to, to uh, find a track, and it's it's pretty hard for me to pass up any lion track to run, but when I have clients, I, I try to stick to catching the big ones if I can. If we're on a dry spell or if a guy just is really excited just to see one, I mean, we'll we'll turn loose on whatever we find. But You're particular, though, about what you let your clients take. Yep. We're, we talked about that. We're, uh, we're after the mature toms, um, and it's difficult sometimes to get people that don't see them all the time to decipher between a 
a young Tom that may be pretty big. And and for somebody that's never seen one, they all look huge. Right. right. Um, but when you see them, when you see 10 to 30 of them a year, on average, you know, you're 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 getting a pretty good taste of what what you have in your area. And like last year, we killed uh, we killed two really nice toms. I mean, one, the the <laughs> the smaller of the two was probably 150 155 pounds. Um, I would say a six to seven year old cat. Um, Generally, we'd strive to have a an older cat than that, especially in the backcountry. Those those cats aren't getting messed with. There's virtually nobody but us that are taking them. Um, so those cats back there are getting extremely old in the cat world. Yeah. Um, so so tell me your theory behind you know taking the mature tom. Um. Well. Just on the on the biology side of it, I guess, and and as an outfitter, you know, a lot of guys will determine what they kill by, okay, I have this, I quote unquote have this many cats in my area, and they're taking too much deer or elk. Um, we we kind of do things a little different than that. I mean, that does factor in, but. We also make a living off of those cats and, and truly care and enjoy seeing those cats in our area. So kind of our way of thinking is, you know, as much money as those cats make us and also as much enjoyment as we get out of running our dogs, we like a healthy cat population. Um, and, and I, you know, cats are hard on deer more than elk but they do kill a fair amount of elk Mm -hmm. but we we take the mature toms and pretty much leave the females alone unless it's some sort of emergency incidental you know got one on the ground and tearing dogs up or uh something's wrong with it maybe you got you need to get it out of the right well the thing you know that i've i've followed Richie Outfitters, and you've been a part of that. I'm not trying to take anything away from Steel Creek Outfitters at all, um, but your philosophy came from how you grew up, and that's why. Yep. And I've been exposed to to Richie Outfitters for a lot of years, and followed you on social media. And when you do some checking around, you guys are looking at it more than just. You guys care about hound hunting and those lions. You know, it's more than just. A check to you and i've known of outfitters that and heard of outfitters that you know have clients book for a seven-day hunt and if they they tag out on the first day they cart them out and and get the next group <laughs> in and and but you guys you guys are here for the total experience and to give you an idea i mean i've never flown into the cellway but i've seen plenty of pictures i was going to fly in with you last year and uh we were having terrible weather in the Swan, and you were kind of having marginal weather in Selway. And yeah, it yeah. was a tough. It was a tough winter weather-wise. It was. We had a lot of rain. We had a lot of ice. We had a lot of just crummy snow. But when you're back there, 
Um, you just got to play with what cards you're dealt. You don't really get a choice because <laughs> how hard yeah. it is to get there. So what do you do um, when what do you do when you get a hunter in that when you get when you get a hunter that books a hunt from back east and they're coming out here for this mountain lion experience? Of course, they're standing at your booth at a show or looking at your website and they're seeing all these big sexy pictures of lions and romanticizing about what it's going to be like to be in the back country and and but you get there and then you have you have stuff go wrong when you can't get your client the line that he's looking for you um, know, what do you guys what do you guys do with that you know it's everybody thinks that and and probably some of this comes from it's mine uh probably some of this comes from say some of the outfitters that don't strive to be the way we are um you know they think well hey he already paid his money. We're we're good. I don't. We don't really care if he gets one or not. And and aren't the way I was raised, the way I was taught to guide, the way everything has been done with us is uh, we want our hunters to be successful just as much as they do because that's as an outfitter, that's your resume. Right. Um. It, I'll I'll bet every amount of money in the world that every hunter that calls me wants to know my success rate and it's probably my most hated question out there That's i'll a- answer it um i don't lie to anybody i like answering that question with uh this is my opportunity rate you know sure. i have this much That's opportunity instead of because success can vary so much, and it might not be my fault. Um, you know, like like the week that you would have come in last winter, it was terrible conditions. It was, had I been home where I had a choice to run or not run, I probably wouldn't have ran. I'd have saved my dog's feet and uh, waited for better conditions. But uh-huh. when I'm back there, I hunt rain or shine, dry ground. I shouldn't. I, I get confused. Well, now that I've started listening to some of your podcasts, I've learned that there's a big difference between dry ground and bare ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I list. I look at Brett Vaughn's videos, and I'm like, nah, that's dry ground. I run bare ground. Right, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't need snow. I don't need snow helps. Good snow helps. Um, but it's not a must. I mean, so so if you're not gauging your if you're not gauging your success on animals taken, okay, you, you say that's your most hated question. The, I, the reason the reason I don't like that question is you might have bad weather. Um, there's there's weeks when you might go ten days and not see a lion track. And it's not because there's no lions there. It's just they all made a kill or something, and they're right. sitting there. They're waiting for good conditions also. Yeah. Um, they're not dumb. They, they uh, Eventually, they have to move. They have to go make another kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, even our elk hunting and our deer hunting, um, you might come the best week 
that I recommended to you to come, and all of a sudden we have an 80-degree week or something, and right. I can't change that. So what do you do to make sure that they have a good time? So that I was always taught if you have a good camp, good food, good people working for you, um, you do everything or I do everything in my immediate control that whatever I can fluctuate and change, if as long as that's good and the client that you have sees that, the the, the honest hunter and the true, you know, the true hunter, they see that and they know that I can't magically appear game in front of them and they can't change the weather and uh so you, what you're doing is you go in and you 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 provide a good clean camp you provide good food yep. you provide good service and uh you're willing to work as hard as a guy's willing to hunt yep that's um, i think that's a key to success for an outfitter i don't think that yeah you can't there there's no sick days and there's no I don't feel like hunting today. There, I mean, I, I, when I get up every morning, no matter if I want to hunt or not, I'm, I'm devoting my time to that hunter. Right. Right. We're gonna have to get the husky out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll just put the headsets down. This is part of it, man. We've cut cut trail the last two days. Yeah. Do you want me to? You want me to do some singing or something to break up the monotony? Oh, look at this! Michael's going to he-man it off the road. Uh, Husky's coming out. Hush. So, well, it looks like it's going to be pretty decent today. It's um, sunny now and. Sun's shining. It's going to be about 70-some degrees. I'm going to get off here and help give Michael a hand not be a freeloader. short work for the husky yeah so that's a real man saw you you're attacking there <laughs> so you cut timber too in the off season right yep i fill in my blanks with uh sawing timber whether it be in oregon or montana right right so yeah the customer servicing i don't care what business you're in you know you can only control what you can control and uh, you just got to do your best and yep um, so tell me, let's let's talk about this. I want to talk about. So, Clay Clay Newcomb did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about how not to be a knucklehead on public ground. Yeah. And how do you not be? A, I'm gonna play off of that a little bit because I think there's 
How do you not be a knucklehead as a client with your outfitter? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what are some things um, that, that you get? Just my, probably my biggest advice to anybody that's going to go on a guided hunt is do do your research. Make sure, make sure you're going with good quality outfitters. But af, after that, I mean, after you have your hunt booked and you're there and you're, you've made the decision to go with whoever you went with, have so you're going with an outfitter because you either don't have the knowledge to go where you need to go to hunt what you're hunting or you just don't want to have to have all this stuff to get there that's what i was getting ready to say uh, maybe i mean not everybody's got a backcountry camp like you've got yeah and so so what you're essentially what you're paying us for is our knowledge our experience um your gear our gear and our expertise at where you know where we're at we know the country we know where game hangs we know you know and and that some of that changes i mean they don't have to stay in those spots but the you know we're going off of an average of where we found game in the past um so so have confidence in your guide and and I had a tough time of it, especially when I was right out of high school guiding for dad. I'd get guys that would come that were, you know, in their, say, late 40s, 50s, 60s, that had hunted quite a bit all over the world. And uh, they didn't have any confidence in me because I was an 18-year-old kid. And, yeah, what you know, what do you know? What, you know, why why should I trust your knowledge you, i don't you, know maybe you can't, because you, can't you live know that here much. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I, and i tried to stay humble about it and just you know actions speak louder than words and and most of the time at the end of the hunt when they were standing there with game in their hand they they would more often than not come shake my hand and be like hey i was completely wrong about you 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 know this country like the back of your hand, and and really my answer to them was, I do. I mean, I I grew up from the time I could walk, and if you ask my dad before I could walk, I mean, I got pictures of me in his backpack at at barren lion trees, and um, he guided in uh, the Yukon in British Columbia for my uncle for a while, and. He would pack me in on sheep hunts on his back. And where, where, and, uh, where was that at? That was in the Yukon. Wow. My my uncle had an outfit up there for a while. So uh, so, what you're saying is, is the first thing you're saying is you've you've if I'm the hunter, then I've got to do my due diligence to do my research and and make sure that it's an outfitter that is going to provide me the things that I'm looking for. Yeah. The price is where I want to pay. Um, and we won't even talk about price. And then at that point I get to camp. If I've done my research and checked references and I've done all that, then to have confidence in your guide. Cause as an outfitter, yeah. you want to put the best guide with that hunter. Yep. Um, 
And and probably where confidence lacks is when you're having a tough hunt, when you're not seeing game, when you're not you're not quote having success. Um, but to me, I, I love guiding the hunters that their success, their their definition of success is they come to our camp, they have a good time, they see the most beautiful country in the lower 48. I can't argue. Um, and the most rugged. I mean, it, it the, the salmon, the selway, even, even parts of my area in, in Montana, um, it's humbling when you get out here on foot, you're like, God dang. What, how, there's, how am I going to get to the top of that? Why, why would I go to the top of that? I've asked myself the question a few times since um, in the last two days. <laughs> why would I even go up there? So, it, it, you know, I mean, it's, I know, I know people pay to come kill an animal, and I get that. And, I, and I've put myself, I've tried to put myself in that position where you're like, hey, I'm paying all this money to come kill a bear or come kill a lion or an elk or deer. Am I willing to go home with nothing and not be sour about it? Um, myself, I don't have the money to go on hunts all over the place, but I, I'm also going to book a hunt for the experience of just being somewhere where I can't take myself there. I can't, I can't do it because of whatever it may be. Um, so just have, have confidence in your outfitter and your guide. Um, granted, there's going to be situations where maybe somebody doesn't have the most experienced guide, but they, sh they should. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. You've done your due diligence. You've done your research. I booked the hunt. You know, I'm in, I'm in an area that, that I've already seen elk from the road, so I know there's elk here. Um, we've treed bears here, and we'll keep the, try to keep this hound base. But, you know, I know there's bears here. We've seen. And the interesting thing is, is uh, Idaho allows baiting. So yep. uh, the baits are being hit. So we know there's bears here. And um, so now if, if I hire this outfitter and he puts me with this guide that goes walking me through the sagebrush out here, <laughs> to try to tree a bear, then that might be a key that I might have picked the wrong outfitter, and then I might have a legitimate gripe. But if I'm in an area that, that has the game I'm looking for, and I, and then just take it in and experience it. And I guess I guess the way I feel about it, Michael, is you know, if I'm going to pay to – if I'm just going to pay to shoot something, then go to a game farm. Absolutely. You know, uh, this is a wild land hunt. Yeah. And and my dad's kind of my dad and and I kind of stole it from him, but I or carried it on, I guess I should say. But what what we kind of promote or advertise to our clients is this is a rugged backcountry hunt, something you can work to work for and be proud of to hang on your wall. Um, you want to buy even if it's just a picture. Yeah, if you, it's a you, picture from the top of one of these, yeah, I mean, know. look at this. Oh my God! Raging 
creek right here beside us. I mean, it's just roaring. I mean, people ask me all the time if I get uh, bored with guiding or I get tired of it. I don't. And there's some times when you know you're you're repeating what you do every single day and what you what a guy has to do is i mean you just got to pick stuff out that either you've never seen before and this goes for a hunter too i mean you ride the same trail every day looking for a bear or drive around the same roads pick something that you didn't see yesterday pick, yeah. pick something that catches your eye that's like wow and that's that's you you don't see that anywhere else or you don't see that every day or um yes so where we're driving right now i mean we've got this boulder <laughs> face next to us to the right of the truck we're rolling down this it's it's not a bad trail but it's a rough trail it hadn't been graded or maintained for a little while and we got the what creek is this running to our left here what is that um nappiest creek yeah see i was testing your skills right there as a guide <laughs> And then right across the creek, it's the same thing going up. So, you know, if we get a strike down here, then it's going to be rough going either way we go. Yeah. But uh, uh, so tell me, tell me what, tell me what I as a hunter, what am I doing? What do I have to do on my end to hold up my end of the bargain here? Probably my biggest advice there is be in the best physical fitness you you can get yourself in i can't stress that enough i mean and that's that's one thing that goes back to the success rate um a lot of hunters not a lot a a fair amount of the hunters that we have some of their success rate is lessened because of the physical shape they're in they they can't physically do it um, and I don't want to scare anybody off, but when we tell you to, I mean, train or I don't care if you go for a walk for a mile down your concrete jungle street every morning, that's doing something. Um, right. Do, do. What you're saying. Look, look at it this way. You're, you're paying all this money to come. This is how I would look at it if I was going to buy a hunt from somebody. I'm paying all this money to go hunt with them. I'm going to do everything in my power to, for my success, for my lack of success to not be my fault. Mm-hmm. So get in shape. I mean, I, I talk to guys on the phone and I'm like, what kind of shape are you in? And they're all like, oh, I'm in great shape. Yep. I, and... And it's not nothing against the guy, but I do ask weight and height, and because I got don't, a scale I, right there by the phone. It's like, <laughs> hey, the National <laughs> Health Standards says you're obese. Stop no, eating Twinkies. I, I don't judge anybody. Oh, okay. I just, I just want to be honest with people. You know, somebody calls me and they're like, "Well, I'm five foot eight and I'm 350 pounds. Can you get me a bear with the hounds?" I can answer that. I, I'm going to pretty much say this hunt's not for that guy. Yeah. Um, now, if he's 6'8 and weighs 300 pounds and he's looks like the Iron Giant, I might be able to get that guy something. <laughs> but realistically, I 
I don't want you to waste your money, and I don't want you to waste our time if if you're not if you phys- you physically can't do it, and I don't want you to get here and be like, "Oh my God, what did I, what what did I do?" Right. Because you you can't take it back. I mean you, I mean we we try to work with people that way, but d- do your research. Do, yeah. Ask yeah. call 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 our reference list and be like, hey. How tough a hunt is this? Most of the guys that have hunted with us are going to go, man, you better put your walking shoes on. You better get in shape. Go hit the Stairmaster. Go go find a skyscraper and take the stairs, not the elevator. Um, I, can, I can tell you where I live. You know, I live in a valley, and, and most people think Indiana's pretty flat. Um, where I live, it's not flat at all. And compared to here, it's flat. But, um, you know, I was hitting, putting the pack on. I knew I was coming out here and just trying to stay in shape um, just generally. You know, I was putting the pack on and hitting the, hitting the ridges and the hills and making hill, you know, doing hill reps and, and different stuff with weighted packs on and throwing the sandbag around and, and just trying to stay in shape. And then yesterday was not a hard walk at all. The walk-in was easy. But this grade coming out was steep, and even though it was only 400 yards, you know, I think I told you then, I said, you know, there isn't a whole lot that I could do at home to, to prepare. prepare to prepare me for this. Exactly, and I've had guys. So that's know. where the mindset has to come in. Yep, you have to, and you got to get creative. Um, I, guys that call me and ask me that question, what can I do to get in shape, you know, I know, I know 90 Probably 99% of my hunters don't have anything like this to go train on. Right. But, but do it's it, doable. Do, That's the thing. It's doable. Do everything in your power. Put, and and I, I go to, you may look like a dork at home, but put your boots on that you're going to hunt in. Don't buy a pair of boots the day you get off the plane to come in and hunt with me. That is, you're just crippling yourself. Right. Um, put your boots on. Cause and buy if you want to buy a brand new brand new pair of boots to go on the hunt, that's great. But put them on, break them in, get them get them used to get your feet used to them, them used to your feet. Put your pack on and you don't got to load it down with a hundred pounds, but put some weight in it. Twenty five to thirty pounds is that's a lot. If you're if you're doing reps and you're doing a workout with that pack, then then that's adequate for pack weight you know i think i used to overload my packs and that came from from uh my jarhead marine corps days you know because <laughs> none of the gear was light it was all government bid and but uh you know i always felt like man i gotta have 80 pounds if i'm gonna get a workout out of this and yeah. and i've changed my thinking on that more now and try to stay at the the lower weights and if you if you're diligent about it then You'll be able to make that pack yeah. when you've got to. Yep. And, uh, you know, put your boots on, put your pack on. One thing guys don't take into consideration is packing a rifle. You know, I, I, me personally, I hunt all over the place for myself whenever I can, and I hate packing a rifle. It's, I, I guide so much that it, 
I, when I don't pack a rifle, and then I go to packing a rifle, and I'm like, God, this thing is so awkward and uncomfortable, and it, it's ridiculous. Exactly. And uh, you got to use be, even if even so, if you start out with with a you know a walking stick in your hand. Well, yeah, and and go. I know it's not really kosher, especially these days, to walk down the street with a rifle. But <laughs> right. Um, right. If if you're living suburbia where you're going to try and train just walking up down the street with your boots and pack on, go to go online, go on Amazon or whatever, and buy a rifle stock. Just a cheapo $25 rifle stock. Put a sling on it and carry that get get used to get used to having your gear on get comfortable with your gear because when you come to camp there's no running to the store to get something more comfortable right you you get what you get you get what you brought yeah and uh so so try you know just just prepare prepare in every way you know you don't got to go buy the most expensive gear out there. Go buy what you like. Go buy what feels good, what's comfortable, and what's going to work for the situation you're going into. Well, and I want to talk about that a little bit, and uh, that's a good point. You know, for years, what necessarily works where we're at, where I'm at, <laughs> doesn't necessarily work out west here and i've i've tried to build most of my kits around what i know works in the west because i've found that if it works out here it's going to serve me very well at home yep. you know and, I, used to and be, I used to be a carhartt bib guy you know and i still wear carhartt bibs when i'm hound hunting and stuff and, I, and i'll wear chaps and and the the frog leg waders but i've found that and and i'll go back to talking about hunting with your dad uh, 27 years ago or, or whatever it was um, you know the thing that struck me was the uh, the wool you yeah. know wool yeah. is phenomenal that we were he wore Malone pants I was wearing uh, like a Belgian surplus wool pant at the time but uh, you can learn a lot you guys live in this environment every day and and I hunt with a lot of people back home that, that pile on layer after layer of cotton and they get soaked <laughs> and then they're then they're miserable the rest of the day. So if you if you so so take some advice from your outfitter on what kind of gear you should get and then if you buy good gear, you buy it one time. Yep. And and I have heard that, you know, I mean uh, guys will they'll look at our recommended gear list and be like, Well, Wool, what? I don't understand. I'll never use that anywhere else. Wool's itchy. Wool's itchy. Well, I use wool every day. If it wasn't summertime, I'd probably have it on right now. Um, but it, wool is proven, and it it has not ever decreased in performance. Yeah. Um, one the best thing about wool, yeah, it is heavier than all these new gears coming out. But wool will keep you warm when you're wet. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times wool will keep you pretty dry. Especially if you have a good base layer on. Um 
We're gonna go the other way. I changed my mind. It's all right. Yeah, and we've we've done some podcasts on gear and with with First Light and Kevin Harlander and and uh, you know so. But yeah, the, I guess the point I was trying to make was you say bring what you like, but sometimes what you like isn't always the best, most functional yeah. thing we, that you can get, get. Get on your get on your outfitter's website and look at their recommended gear list. And quiz them about it. Why do you wear this? What what makes this better than say what I like to wear? Mm-hmm. Um, and and build your gear from the ground up. Start with your feet. That's the I, most I, important thing. I can't stress enough about having good footwear. Um, if you if you blow out your feet, you're done. Yeah. There's no other way. I mean, you can have sore back, you can have sore legs, you can have sore arms, but if your feet are good, you can continue. Um, but get if you spend good money on anything, spend it on footwear. Get get good footwear and and put a good sock in that boot. Yep, get, get rid of the freaking cotton, cotton tube socks yep. that are going to rub blisters and rub the skin off your feet. I wear. I love these socks to death. I wear darn tough socks. I've they're, heard good things about them. They're merino wool. Yep. They're not hot. Uh, you can get them in any thickness pretty much that you want. Mm-hmm. And they guarantee them if you get a hole in them, you can send them back and get a new pair. I've done it because um, I wear stuff out like it's going out of style. Well, you're spending like 40 days in Forty days at a time in the backcountry. <laughs> so yeah, you're like a, the most extreme, out, you know, one of the most extreme outfitters I know of. A few years ago, I I was in camp, sitting there reading this magazine, and on an off day or rainy day or something, and um, I read some statistic that the average person walks X amount of miles a year, and I was like, wow, that's not very. Well, at first I was like, man, that's a lot. And then I got thinking about it, and I'm like, no, that's not really a lot. And so I, I got this wild hair. I had, a, I had a Garmin GPS dog tracking system that I had just gotten kind of when they first came out. Yeah. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to track my miles for a whole year, just, just hunting, just hunting and guiding. And uh, in one... One full year, whether it be chasing my hounds or horn hunting or chasing elk, deer, um, I put on, and I can't remember the exact, down to the exact mile, but I put on um, 2,700 miles. On your feet. On my feet. And, And take into effect that that's mostly vertical miles. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there's some, yeah. That, and I don't, and I don't truly know how accurate the Garmin would be tracking those miles. I I don't have any other way to test it against that. But or you're not counting truck miles right now because no. your Garmin's are on. Yeah, no, I don't. No, I don't <laughs> count that. Um, I'd throw in some truck miles. <laughs> I might I hit. I might hit 2,700 if I throw in some truck miles. It was tough. I had to train myself to look. You know, if I got in the truck or got on a mule or a horse, I had to train myself to look at my GPS and go, okay, 
pause my miles right there and I'll, right. I'll take some miles out well that's at the so end of the day that's so funny because you know with smartphones and and it seems like ten thousand steps a day is is what everybody tries to hit yeah you know they think they're they're a hero if they hit ten thousand steps a day <laughs> and uh, yeah i got this fancy dancy garmin watch for my wife for does my it birthday. alert does it alert you when you hit ten thousand steps it, a day that, well it changes the goal if you if you bump your goal every day the goal keeps going up right right and uh she, she got it for me because i kind of am a uh i don't know what you'd call it just i'm competitive with myself i try to beat myself all the time yeah and when i started tracking my miles with you're my a nut. gps <laughs> um she goes, I'm going to get you one of those watches that tracks your steps. And right. I'm like, oh, this can't be accurate. And uh, so I was counting my steps in my head one day, just watching the watch rack them up. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it's fairly accurate. I mean, there's going to be some inaccuracy there somewhere where you might be walking a little faster than what the measurement you put in there. But <laughs> So what are you averaging a day? Right When you're hunting, what are you averaging a day on steps? Just because that's what seems to be every what, Some, what somewhere between ten thousand and uh, I want to I want to say my high last winter was like thirty two thousand steps. I was going to say thirty thousand. I looked at it and was like, oh my god, no way. And uh, the one. The one thing I didn't like about this is, you know, it has an app that goes to your phone that you can go on and look at all your statistics and stuff. And That's it, to make you feel guilty. It doesn't work without cell service. <laughs> it's really disappointing. Um, so, but I was looking at it, and I'm like, 32,000 steps. Holy moly. Well, the next morning, even as in good a shape as I was in this winter, I'm like, yeah, that was definitely 32,000 steps. Um, but I I was chasing my hounds, and as every houndsman knows, you go where them dogs go. Right, there's, right. There's no uh, I can't or I won't. If, if you, in my opinion, if you're going to take the responsibility to turn them loose, it's your responsibility to go get them. Well, you think you you made a perfect segue in there to what I want to talk about now. Uh, kind of shift gears here a little bit, and we just so you know, kind I think of got on a rabbit trail there. Uh, yeah, that's all right. We, as Steve says, yeah, <laughs> we uh, we like rabbit paths because it adds flavor. But natural conversation here. Let's. Uh, I want to shift into. See, you started talking about rabbit paths, and now I don't know what I was going to talk about. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, so. A lot of times, and I've I've met I've met outfitters like this over the years that offer hound hunts, and a lot of times the hound is simply a, a piece of gear or a tool, tool yeah. in the hunt. And Richies have been houndsmen for a lot of years. Yeah. If if they took away everything that that you could hunt, if you if if you only had a couple things that you could hunt, would it involve hounds? It'd be the only thing. I, I would. I would not. 
I, By the way, this is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal right here. This is beautiful country. Isn't it? I, oh I love gosh, it. Oh, my gosh, grass this. and this. There's got to be fish over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's private, though. It, it's full of – there's there's some non-private sections of it. This is just a private section. But, yeah, this is full of brook trout. Oh, man. Um, and in certain times of the year, there'll be steelhead in there and stuff, right. too. But. Okay, so so take away everything else. You would hounds, – houndsman yeah. would be the last thing you'd give up. Yeah, I'll go to the grave with a hound in my hand. Um, when I can't hunt hounds anymore – that that'll be the end of me. I <laughs> I truly love it, and I'd rather do nothing else. You you can ask my wife; she struggles with it every day. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it and our hounds are are our life. They're our livelihood. Um, we probably take better care of our hounds than. We do ourselves, really. Yeah. That um, seems to be a pretty common theme with, with houndsmen. You know, a, a houndsman. And when I say houndsman, I'm talking about a guy <laughs> that isn't just looking at a dog as going out and catching games. I'm talking about a guy that understands hound health. They understand hound nutrition. They understand the importance of, you know, that they are way more invested in their hounds than they are themselves. I think a lot of times, um, and I'll make it. I'll make a bold statement here, but you know, you've got hunters that have hounds, and then you have houndsmen. Yes, and sir. the houndsman is the guy that that um, is very in tune with. The kill means nothing yeah. to them. Yeah, I mean, we um, treated Barry yesterday, and it didn't even cross my mind to. And I was packing packing my rifle with me. I don't know. It just didn't. It, it didn't cross my mind to shoot the bear. It wasn't a good. It wasn't a huge bear anyway. I'm surprised we got the shorter races we did. <laughs> Me too. Because he was a 110 pound those runner, man. Tennis shoe bears. Yeah, we call them Honda 90s back east. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they um, yeah, but that's. I struggle with that. At home, at all over the place, I see. Uh, you know, because hound hunting's getting popular again. It it. Or or maybe it is more popular now than it ever has been i don't i don't know where to go with that but um they i struggle with i drive up and down the road at my house and i see guys going down the road in hound boxes and i know i know who most of them are and i know know some of them personally and and i don't hunt with a lot of guys just because there's there's a there's some out there that aren't houndsmen and I don't want to hunt with those guys. I I hope someday they teach themselves to be houndsmen or get somebody that is a houndsman to teach them that because I think it's very valuable to our sport and our tradition that running hounds is... We call it a lifestyle. Yeah, you know, it is. Hound, hound, being a houndsman is a lifestyle. It's not a sport. And it's dedication. Yep. And, and we talked about this a little bit, but... We've got – I'm going to put you on the spot <laughs> before I be – eventually here. But, uh, you know, it's it's a lifestyle, and we can tell by what's going on around our country that, that trying to talk about it as a heritage or a sport – I mean, we're tearing down historic monuments yeah. all across the country. Whether you agree with that or not, it is happening. So that ought to give you an idea that nobody cares if your grandpa ran hounds. Yeah, you know, your grandpa absolutely. probably put up that, that statue of – of you know 
some some person that's getting torn down now too. So we've got to figure out another narrative, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit path on this podcast. But yeah. uh, you know, you'll get me all worked up. Oh yeah. Well, maybe we need to talk about no, it. No, no. <laughs> I don't want no politics in camp. All oh. right. That sounds good. Sounds good. Let's. Um, but I'm going to put you on the spot. So you see those young guys running up and down the road with hound boxes, and you say you hope that somebody teaches them. If it's not Michael Ritchie, then who's it going to be? Um, I Is guess that putting you on the spot enough? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'll help anybody. I'll help teach anybody, but they got to want to do it. I, I'm not going to help somebody that isn't in it. To you know, I want them. You know, because growing up, I had I had other friends that ran hounds, but not a single one of them run hounds now. They just they just more 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 often than not, they do it because either their parents do it or they have a buddy that does it, and they think it's cool for a while. And and then it's a trend. It 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 fades away, or they get busy with life, and they don't. You know, it, it's easy to do with hounds too. Like you, you get behind in bills or whatever, and you you put your hounds to the side. You chain them up and you feed them every day, and walk out and pat them on the head, and the way you go, you're you're, and and you're failing your dogs right there. And I do it myself, and I hunt a lot. Um, but I it, do it. it and every I get day, guilty. every day that I get up and can't run my dogs. There's a a hurt. <laughs> I I know what my, you mean. In my heart, I'm like, man. They look at me like, are we going today, yes. Dad? And I'm like, no, not today. Got to go pay the bills. But anybody that wants to learn, anybody that is willing, ain't, you don't got to take anything I say to heart or keep it. But the one thing that you know, my dad taught me pretty much everything I know about hounds or hound hunting, cat hunting, bear hunting, whatever. Um, and I didn't really learn what I'm about to say from him because he's kind of one of those guys that, you know, it's his way. It, not that his way is the best way, but he wants to do things his way. Yeah. And, I, and I'm real similar, but I heard from somebody one time that Listen to everybody that you can get. I mean, be a sponge. Absorb everything you can. You don't have to use everything you learn. You don't have to learn. You don't have to use everything that you hear. Kind of build your own style if you want to. Right. You know, take take something from the Richies. Take something from you coon hunters back east. Takes you know, be a hybrid. Be a you know jack of all trades is what we kind of call it here i mean you you have to um <laughs> to make a living out here in the west you kind of have to be a jack of all trades i've you, noticed that you, you've got to do about everything yep um, so so as a as a new houndsman i call michael ritchie and i want you to teach me about hounds you know you say you're willing to help anybody what sort of attitude should i have coming into that um it, and <laughs> if I show up, this okay. is this is tough because I know where you're headed with it. And uh, houndsmen are greedy, and houndsmen 
even guys that are willing to teach somebody you you have and it go and it goes back to your uh clay newcomb deal where don't be a knucklehead type thing you, you feel encroached on you feel like okay if i teach this kid something is he going to be right back in all the same spots that i just took him and showed him where all the good spots are um but i, I when when i teach somebody to hound hunt i want them i want them to be learning about the hounds not not so much the game we're chasing i want them to be looking in the mirrors right now watching these dogs watching the change in their behavior you know they're they're checking the wind their noses are going up and down um they're booger barking a little bit trying they're just excited the this female I got in the box, she's been in heat for a couple of weeks and hasn't got to run at all, so she's fresh, fresh. And uh, I, I want them watching those changes. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of an example. I, my grandpa is known all over as the mule man. Yeah, we talked about this. You know, even and, back, uh, even back uh, east, yeah. Joe Ritchie mules, <laughs> he's known as a mule man. Yeah. And and I'm not quite the mule person he is. Um, I'm, and I'm probably not even the mule person my dad is. I My patience for horses and mules lack a little bit. And But I, but I watch these guys training horses and training mules, and, and not even my, my family. Um, but I watch them, and these guys are are seeing these subtle changes that the normal eye doesn't catch. Right. Um, and I guess in a, in a way you could say either you have that or you don't, it, it, you can't really teach it sometimes, but, but I, I would like to be a better horse or mule trainer. I just don't. It's not I, where I your passion lies. Yeah. That's, that's most of it. But I have a hard time picking out that little change where you just made ground and you need to build on that. A lot of times I'm like I'm like my old male hound that we had yesterday. I overrun the track a little bit mm -hmm. and then I have to back up and figure out where I screwed up. Right. Um So yeah. so somebody that's gonna So to transfer before we leave that point, before we let's transfer that back into hound hound training or hound hound hunting. And I'll just, I'll use the example, you know, like I said earlier, the two plots that I have are not bear dogs. They're here to become bear dogs. They're and, young. And it's hard to make them that in Indiana. So, so when I look at what they were doing yesterday and I look at how they behaved and how they reacted to certain things, um, you know, here's Cajun and... I watch them in the mirrors, and I see those noses going up and down. They're staying vigilant. Um, you know, you get a strike, and then we cut loose. Man, he's beelining in there. Um, and I'm evaluating that hound the whole time, and I see those, see those changes. So I'm gauging the success of my day, not necessarily on, oh, you know, I caught a, we caught a bear, so now I've got a phenomenal bear hound. You know, I'm looking at the, the parts of that. Is he made learning? It a success. Is he learning? Is he yes. advancing? Is he yes. not? Is 
every yeah, day. Exactly. And, and I, I'm I'm 31 years old, and I'm no by by no means do I think of myself as an expert at this because I I don't care who you are, how much experience, how long you've been doing this. If you're not learning from your hounds every day, you're you're missing something because an old guy that I wish I shouldn't call him an old guy. <laughs> he's not. He's older than me. Um, always told me that. Oh, uh, let's it, just clarify. How old is this old guy? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah. I shouldn't have said it. So, what, how uh, old is he? Like fifty? Fifty-one? Fifty-six. Okay, 57. he's older than me, so yeah. we can call him an old guy. Let's go. call him an old guy. Um, an old, an older guy than me. <laughs> that that has been a a pretty big impact in my life. Um, not my dad, but he's re- my dad's probably been more of an impact than that. But where I'm going is, he told me if if a hound has the chance to embarrass you, he will take it every time, and. and it can be your best hound. It can be your worst hound. It can be everywhere in between. But no matter how broke they are or no how, matter how green they are, um, given the right opportunity and the and I kind of see myself as the same way. Like you, there's things that you know you shouldn't do, but boy it'd be fun for a little while yeah <laughs> until yeah. you get caught right um that's just where personal discipline comes in but you know we used to talk about this in leadership training when i was a conservation officer and uh that was one of my jobs was to teach leadership training but the worst thing you can do is get into that situation where you feel like that you have it all figured out and and i used to describe it like this you know, you step up, and it's like, I have arrived. Yeah. You know, at the point that you do that, you might as well sell everything you've got. <laughs> you've decided that, that you can go no further. There's nothing more you can learn. So why are you staying in it at that point? Yeah. Is it for your own ego, or is it is it for this? But when you're a houndsman, you know, I come out here, and I'm, I've been ha- hunting hounds and owned hounds longer than you've been alive. But when I hunt with Michael Ritchie in these mountains, I watch what you do. And it's like I told you there yesterday, yesterday you know, this is your show. I'm just here to screw it up for you. <laughs> and, uh, and Well, and I'll give you some little examples on kind of where I was headed with what I said um, about them embarrassing you, you know. more It was kind of directed as just when you think you have it figured out, they will throw a curveball at you. You know, I last winter, I've never ever had as much trouble with my dogs wanting to run fox. I, we never had any fox around for them to run. I mean, I I've seen more fox in the Selway last winter than I ever have, and uh, I'd be walking down the trail with a client. And my dogs would blow up on a fox track, and I'm like, "Good God, you guys, come on!" You, and you got a client with you. Yeah, and there's nothing more embarrassing than exactly. somebody paying money to for your experience, and here goes your dogs chasing trash, and you're like, <laughs> "God dang it!" 
and you're yelling and screaming and trying to keep your composure and not beat your dogs half to death or you know i mean you're just like man really you gotta come on um i think this is a good place to throw in the old adage and i don't know who said it or who created it but a man's ego is a heavy burden for a hound to have to carry absolutely you know it's uh i i got a couple buddies i hunt with and when we get together it's all you know you get your chest puffed out and you're like yeah wait and see what my hounds can do you know and right. then pretty soon you're all everybody's dog that's in the box <laughs> chasing a deer or fox or something you're like man hey i'll tell you i'll tell you one and i told you this story be, uh, yesterday but you know i bring a grand night champion female that you can't pour a deer on at home and make her run it and we were trying to work out that line track in the in the uh swan valley last year or is north of Swan, and uh, you know she's in there and and opens up, and I'm thinking, man, she's she's on it, and I'm seeing line tracks, and I'm also seeing moose tracks, and I'm walking the track out behind her, and then the the line track peels off, and the moose tracks keep going that have dog tracks right behind them, so yeah, there you go, <laughs> you know, there's your Grand Night Champion get trash the opportunity broke. to to try something, and. A lot of my fox problem last winter was, you know, tough conditions. We weren't catching a lot, and and I don't really blame them a whole lot. You're you're busting your butt, and you're not finding what you want, and it's, it's nice to go have a little fun every now and then. I, I have the same feelings when I'm at work. I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing this, but in in the back of my head, you know, not even in the back, mostly in the front, I'm always like, God, I wish I was hunting. Yeah, you know, yeah. I see something run across the road in front of me, and I want to bail out. And, you want to trash. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it. I I relate most of my life to hounds. I mean, my dad always taught me that a dog's only as good as the man behind him, and I I truly believe that. I I strive for that. I you know when I when I got dogs on the hillside that are struggling. I try not to be the guy that's sitting there looking at the GPS going, what are they doing? Why are they Why are they doing that? I, I try to put boots on the ground and get up there and go, what's going on, kids? Can I help you? Right. And a lot of times when there's not snow or mud, you got a hard time helping them. I mean, I can't yeah. smell the track. I can't straighten them out, but I can, I can move them around. I can... Right set them up for success try to so so what are some things that um you've seen in hounds out here that that just don't work for you some things for michael ritchie as far as traits of hounds yeah i mean just stuff that it's a deal breaker for you i can't i can't hunt this hound or do you think that i don't i don't tolerate any dog to dog aggression um i don't care if it's my dog or your dog or i see somebody face barking at the tree or growling or wanting to just have a pissing contest i I, that's tough for me um but as as far as the hunting into things goes um i'm i'm more of a cold nose guy i like i like the cold nose stuff that's how i grew up um it it's tough running cold-nosed dogs 
these days with as many wolves as we have. Because um, well, that's I, a whole I, podcast right there. Yeah. Oh my God. That that'll that's as bad as politics. Well, I think it is politics, but right. Um, <laughs> I, I love cold nosed dogs because you're always challenging yourself. You're you're kind of seeing just how old a track you can run. Um, and I've tested it. I've 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 seen a track that stayed in the snow, you know, and I monitored that track. Obviously, the cat's long gone. But I've, you know, we, we had, I'll give you, I guess, an example. I've seen a track one you time. You already started this big tail. you got to finish <laughs> it now. I've seen this track one time, and I was like, I was already days behind it, you know, and I'm like, well, I let a dog out, and they were pretty interested in it, and they wanted to, wanted to run it. And How many days? It's probably a two-day-old cat track in the snow. Okay. Um, and the only reason I really kind of know how old it was is I've been running that road every day, and and I, I missed a couple days there, and it, it could have been anywhere from a day to two days. Mm-hmm. And I, I ran that, and uh, I didn't catch it that day, and I don't know what what really went wrong for sure but i didn't end up catching the cat um but i kept driving that road waiting for that cat to cross again because i i just wanted to catch it i wasn't looking to kill anything but i just wanted to catch it and uh we didn't get any snow for like 14 16 days or something like that Uh uh-huh so this track was there forever and on like day 10 I'm like, you know, I want to see just where, how how old can a dog smell? How old can my dogs smell, you right. know? Um, so, you know, I had already turned loose on it. So from the road forward on the track was all tracked up. So I, I leashed a few dogs up and backtracked. You know, I didn't walk on the track, but I walked around and then came back and hit the track okay so you came around you walked around and hit it ahead of where you had quit before uh yeah okay uh, so prior to where i found it so okay you know the cat came from there okay um, i got you so i i uh i can't say that that 10 day old track my dog could have ran it but there was definitely places along the trail where they would open you know it'd go under a tree or something where it was real sheltered and it'd be in it'd be in some nice dirt or something uh-huh. you know and and they would strike but they couldn't take it anywhere they they wouldn't they try they'd go 20 yards out from that spot and they were lost but there was definitely scent still there mm-hmm. and they could smell it and and that was that was one of them times where, my, you know, I was smiling. I right. was like, huh, my dogs can still smell that. I couldn't have caught it. Dogs nose. I could have tried it. Dogs nose. And that's, we talked about this early on when we started producing this podcast about it, the ability of a dog's nose and how we can't even comprehend how that dog's nose works. But the thing that amazes me is... The fact that 
guys don't study and learn as much as they can about the way a dog uses its sense of smell, you know, its scenting ability and how that thing works. And, and I mean, that is your, that is your number one asset to being a houndsman is your hound. And if you don't understand, have some working knowledge of how that dog's nose work and how, how scent interacts with its environment and things like that, man, you are, you're really, you're defeating yourself, you know, right yeah. up front. I, you're holding yourself back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I like what you're thinking there about, I'm going to go back and I'm going to see, I'm going to look for myself and, and see if this is even possible that they can smell any part of this. Do you think maybe some of it was sight tracking in the snow? Oh, definitely could have been this, this dog you're looking at in the mirror right there. She has a memory. Like if she, if she chased a lion right here, Last week, uh-huh. if we cruised past this spot and, or if we were walking up this road or something, she would go check that spot because she found the lion track there last week. Uh-huh. She might not necessarily go run that old track, yep. but she would go check that spot and just to see. But, yeah, I mean, probably... A lot of times, me trying to run old tracks, I'm setting my dogs up for failure as far as catching something. But I'm learning from it. They're learning. It, it's it's no different than where our where our world is right now. You're, you're getting participation awards and stuff. And thought we weren't going to talk politics. We're not. I'm just. <laughs> uh, you, nobody knows how to win and lose anymore. And right. and I think a hound. I think a hound does have to learn how to lose. You you can't win them all. Right. You can't treat everything you turn loose on. It's I want to. I I really do, but it it's not probable. It I guess it probably is possible, but it's not probable. Rock chuck strike. I think probably looks rock chucky here. It does. Um, but let's just cruise a little bit. I'm gonna let him. I'm gonna let him. This is where we're gonna test the success and failure thing because <laughs> I can't prove that he's trash striking right now. And there very well could be a bear in here. Definitely. This is kind of what he did to us yesterday, and so I don't want to be don't want to be blasting him for no for trying to do his job. It's kind of the cops and robbers deal. You gotta. Prove, <laughs> prove where you're, what, what you're getting them in trouble for. That's right. That's right. Because I've been wrong more than once. With the law or with hunting? With hunting. Oh, okay. With well, we, we won't I, talk uh, about the other yeah, side. Yeah, we'll stay out of that. But <laughs> we did that off the air yesterday. <laughs> um, no, I mean I, I've scalded dogs for when they were doing right and i i was 120 percent sure they were doing wrong and i was wrong look up there here we go this will be a good trash strike right here this will test the we've got deer standing in the road yeah and i don't think they've seen them so it'll be good for scent test yep see if the see if these trashy plots blow up on this that's enough of a that's enough of an open for me 
looky oh. there. They're going to run up the I hill. Might have spoke too soon. I need to see a little sight. Yeah, they've got their heads sticking out this side now. He's looking at them. Cajun is? Yeah. Yeah. I want Diablo to stick his head out. Let him see him. But, uh, yeah, so they're getting a live getting a live look at some mule deer. Some mule deer and uh, some actual on real-time trash breaking type stuff. If I was real gutsy, I'd go ahead and pour those plots on them and see what happens. <laughs> I've done that a few times. And I might. The, the Selway is so awesome for trash breaking because there is so many deer. And, the, I mean, it, it's almost... It almost kind of makes me feel bad for them because they see so many deer and they're so tempted. But it, at the same time, it's good for them. They need to see them and smell them, put the sight and the scent together, and uh, and know that it's... The, the best case scenario for that is we drive right up here and a bear runs across the road in front of us. Exactly. You just told them what not to chase. Yep. And you dump them That's on, interesting. on what you, you want brought them that to up. chase. And, and just to give everybody an idea, what I did there was uh, on the Garmin, it was a, I just nicked them. So I used a momentary, you know, it was just bang, and it was uh, on four low in my Garmin. So, you know, it doesn't take much no. for, to get the attention when they know uh, what it's all about. And you're just basically saying, stop doing what you're doing. That's not acceptable. Yep. And... Uh, it doesn't take it. I didn't have to set it on 16 and burn their eyebrows off, and and it was just uh, nope. That's not what we're doing today, boys. Yep. And uh, boy, I, I wish there was more more circumstances where you could do that. Shock them off of what you don't want them to chase, and pour them right on to. We use we use the word stimulate to be politically correct. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I guess, tr truthfully, <laughs> I guess it probably is more of a, until you get up in them higher numbers there, <laughs> but yeah, they, I, w I try to do that with pups, you know, when I'm hunting around home, because there's a, an old, well, it's not old really, it's a mine up there, I they, thought mine, they mine for cobalt, yep. um, but a lot of times when I'm at home, if I got some pups that I want to train, I drive around and find lion tracks. And then once I have a lion track found and I know it's fresh, mm -hmm. I'll go I'll go race around and try and find some deer and test them, you know. And if they want to run them, I'll let them run them for not very far, but enough to let You'll them let, know that... To have some buy-in. Yeah. It lets me know that they're vested in wanting to run them. And then I get to let them know that it's not okay. Then I load them in the box and haul ass back to your lion track. My lion track, and go here. This this is what is okay to run. And I wish there was. I wish you could do that all the time, but it doesn't always work out. Right. In my favor, but I do it a little bit different. I want them to know right from the get go that. So if I'm if I'm trying to break a dog from deer. You know, I might find some deer out, and I'll put them on a long line the first few times I do it. Uh, it's a little easier for me to do it because I'm I'm look, talking 
ag country, yeah. you know. Um, I'll find a bean field or a pick bean field and find some deer in it. You know, it'd be hard to run a long line out here. But um, as soon as they start showing interest in that, then yeah. I give them the verbal correction, tell them no, and follow it up with a light, stimu- you know, light stimulation. Yep. And I just increase it until they understand that that's not what we're going to do. Now, if you do that every time, your dog's going to learn that when it's on the long line, that it's just simply not going to hunt. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, you not going to try to run anything. You can break th- them of everything. And then you take them back and you give them that positive reinforcement right away. So, yeah, the only thing I differ on is is how much in, I don't want them to have any investment in running the trash. Yeah. And, and I when they're little, 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 I, I kind of do similar to what you're saying. You know, they'll be on a leash and... I'll let them stick their nose in a deer track or whatever, you know. And, yeah, I'll and, let them get that far. Make sure that that's, as long as, I try not to correct them unless they keep sticking their nose in every, you know, they're following that deer. Sure. If they stick their nose in that track and pick their head up and go go on, leave it, I, I'll leave it be. I'll, yeah, because I've seen dogs checking. do that. That's right. I've seen a lot of dogs do that. I've seen your dad's dogs do that. We were walking yeah, out from oh, a lime sure. tree one time, and, and uh, it was either Hammer or Ike. One of them was off leash. Of course, they were always off leash, but they were walking there by us, and he was sticking his nose in every elk track as we went. He wasn't wanting to run them, but every time he'd come across, he'd <laughs> stick his nose in there, and he'd check it, and he'd just like, nope, that's not it. And, you well, know, funny, funny story, that little walker female I had with us yesterday, last winter, I was around New Year's, uh, I chased a big tom lion. I ended up catching him, but... It, it was a, it was a good learning experience for her and me. Um, I had this other blue tick female I got with me with her, and she was real young, didn't hadn't been on much races at all, and she kind of bowed out of the race, didn't, just didn't follow along, and kind of came back to me. But that Walker female, she, uh, she cold trailed that lion for probably two miles up this canyon. And we were lucky enough we could ride the snowmobiles up kind of parallel in her. And she got up there in these kind of bluffy, cliffy stuff and uh, just quit and came back. And I, I, I just was like, that's not like her. Like, I don't understand. She doesn't just quit without, you know, a reason or something. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I put my pack on get this other dog out of the box i because i'd put her back in the box and drove up to where she was and uh i hiked up there i'm like i had another guy with me and he'd hunted some hounds a little bit not a lot but he pretty much bowed out when we seen the track it was too old of a track for him to he didn't feel comfortable turning his dogs loose on it and yeah uh, and I kind of had a pretty good idea how old the track was. It was it was about close to 24 hours old, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. But it had a lot of snow in it. I mean, it had like four or five inches of snow in it from the from that night. And uh, but they would stick their head all the way down in the track as far as they there could goes go. grouse. Yep. That's an endangered species east of the Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. We've got a pile of them here. So, was that uh, a spruce grouse? That was a rough grouse. Rough grouse. Okay. Rough grouse are what's um, 
that's why I didn't recognize it because they're endangered back east. Yep, and they're they're a lot smaller and brown, brownish yeah. colored. Um, but anyways, this this Walker dog I have, she she and she's real young. She's just just turned three, and yeah, maybe in like February. Um, she's pecking this track out, you know, and just stopped. So I, I couldn't handle it. I walked up there. I had to go see why she failed. And, um, and this is kind of where that, the man behind the dog comes in. You know, you, if your dog quits and you don't know why, and you don't have the curiosity to go find out why, then you, you just missed a learning opportunity there. That's that's between you and your dog. Yeah. Um, so so I put my pack on, walked up there, and, and I I'm a poor loser too. So I, <laughs> I uh, had to I couldn't let my buddy see me lose. So I walked up there and I'm following this cat track that she had been following, and it uh it's going along and this cat's hunting up through the rocks and stuff, and it comes up on top of this rock and there's three elk beds there and and then the track just disappeared and there's a tree right there with a cat track kind of at the bottom of it and I'm like well did she tree it and not locate it the, 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 the cat track never was running so I didn't I ruled that out pretty quick I was like well there's no way she just walked up behind it and treed it and didn't locate it but so then I started investigating and she kind of wasn't interested anymore she kind of act like she couldn't smell it anymore or whatever and i uh and she's not she's probably my least cold-nosed dog i have uh-huh so i i wasn't overly surprised that she was not smelling it real good because she didn't go burning down the track when i turned her loose she was working pretty hard at it and so i started investigating this cat track and it was definitely hunting these they were bulls. There was three bulls in there and big bulls. And this cat made kind of a couple circles through these elk beds and then walked step for step. And these elk tracks were pretty frozen. So the cat print wasn't making an impression. So the cat was walking in the elk track. Yeah. And even after the cat had walked through, all you could see was the elk track. And I saw that I saw that in the swan this this uh, winter. Yeah, and and I think I kind of think they do it for stealth reasons. You know, they do they're too. Not they're not bust, they're not busting a new track. They're not breaking their own trail. And uh, so I, it took me. I mean, it it took me fifteen twenty minutes to get this figured out. I, I was like, I don't understand how this cat just disappeared. And I started walking because those bulls didn't all go the same trail either, you know. So I had to walk each elk track out to figure out which elk track it was in. And I walked it out about a hundred yards before I before the cat left the elk track, and I could see the print again. And I'm like, oh. And as soon as it come out of that elk track, but that particular dog, I have very in in my standards i guess i have very well trash broken 
Yeah. She, she, and I think what happened there was she's sticking her head in those tracks and it was smelling so strong of elk that she was kind of maybe not ignoring the cat track, but she knew she wasn't doing right by sticking her head in those elk tracks yeah. every, every step, you know, and. And she may have followed it for a ways and then was like, I'm going to get in trouble here. And uh, so I had to give her a little bit of encouragement again once that cat track came out of there. She's like, oh, yeah, now I remember what we were doing. This is, I'm right here. And and then that cat got really tricky. He, uh, I've never, never really seen too many lions do this i've seen bobcats do it before but this cat we kind of got him on the run we kind of jumped him and got him on the run and uh he went down and he climbed up this tree and it was real close quarters to a cliff and he climbed up the tree and jumped out of the tree on top of the the cliff. cliff and he did that three different times to me that day and the 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 weirdest one was the last, well, second to last one. Was the last one, we caught him. He clumb a tree that was too far away from the cliff <laughs> and didn't have the cojones to do it. Right. So the the tricky one that really impressed me was the cat. And I seen the cat track going up the tree, like, because it was kind of a leaner, sweeping mm-hmm. butt tree. and uh, Snow was still frozen on the bark. Yep. And yep. I could see the cat track run up the tree and... He ran up the tree, jumped out on the cliff, and the only thing I can figure on it really, to be honest, is I don't think he could get off the cliff anywhere. But he waited, you know, my dogs are treeing on that tree because they they put him up it, and there are no other cat tracks on the ground there, so they did what they were trained to do, and Mm -hmm. the track ends there, that's the tree. Um, So... You know, I get there, and obviously there's no cat in the tree, and I'm like... You got slick tree and line dogs. Yeah, yeah, you dirty buggers, you know, and it's all tracked up, and I can't right. figure out where it went. And I I kind of I didn't scald him off of it, but I encouraged him to go somewhere else and find the cat, you know, and I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm probably 100, 125 yards back up the hill trying to hone in the cat track and I see this cat jump back into the tree and came down the same tree and ran right up his back track for about 50 feet and then peeled off and went back down the canyon and you watched the lion do this yeah and and my dogs of course are free casting out trying to find the cat yeah. track and I'm yelling at them get back here get back here he is yeah. here he is here he well, you is. just and sent me away yeah and so now they're all confused and they didn't even make it back to me and they hit you know obviously super fresh scent and the way they go and they took him about oh, another 300 yards down the canyon and put him up and that was the final tree there and uh, we ended up killing that Tom and he was a, a dandy Tom he was probably 165 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty. I n- I never did. The the other the other guy that was with me killed him, and uh, I never did get an age on him. They have. I don't think they've sent him the tooth information yet. But 
Oh, that was just this winter. Yep. Oh, nice. And uh, but that was a that was a big learning experience for me and that dog. Um, I never would have guessed that that cat would have jumped right back in the same tree and come down it for starters. Right. And and I learned that that dog was trash broke enough that she wouldn't carry that cat track through all the. I mean, I've had them carry them through elk tracks, but that cat stepped in every elk track and it was frozen enough that it wasn't making a and it and it she I don't think she had it jumped yet at that point either so I don't know how for sure how long ago that cat walked that elk track. Yeah. So yeah. And well, elk it, and elk scent is super strong. Especially I can't imagine a dog sticking its nose in an elk track versus a cat track going, Poo man, that's a lot of scent. Right. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so what I'm hearing, maybe not asking a question here, but leading up to this, we uh, got some guys stopped in the road up here for service, working on the sign, looks like. Yeah, eh, maybe some fishermen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Got their waders on. Yep. Oh, maybe it is for service. We got the yard dogs. <laughs> This is like a workstation thing for. Are we on reservation ground here? No, uh, it's not reservation, but the Indians do do fish, fish studies here okay. in these streams. Yeah. They're probably tracking fish, actually. Probably ta tagging fish. Yeah. Um, yep. And then down lower on this creek here, they have a, they have big antennas set up on, on the river and uh, they can tell when those fish come back up through yeah it's it, amazing it's kind of like our telemetry actually right. yeah what is it it's steelhead will come back three years after it's spawned and find the same creek yep. all the way from the pacific ocean back into idaho yep and i believe don't quote me on this but i i've been told this several times that this is the longest salmon and steelhead migration there is yes in, i've heard the north same america thing. yep so we're talking about fish going when they're born they follow this river system all the way to the pacific ocean stay out there mature and then three years later are able to find their way all the way back to where they were they respond yeah, and it's pretty incredible it is absolutely incredible that just blows my mind blows my mind so that was a rabbit path for sure yeah definitely <laughs> so so the thing that i was going to say and talk about was the fact that you know so many times and i'm guilty of this myself you know the, the garmin is so daggone handy i wouldn't want to hunt without my garmin you know so don't get me wrong here i love my garmin but if you had simply stood down at the road and looked at your garmin and thought hmm that doesn't make any sense I do it every time I turn my dogs loose. <laughs> and yeah. And then your dog and then your dog comes back out to you and you're like, "Oh, well, I guess it didn't work out and now we're going down the road." So, as a houndsman, you've got that desire not only to you put the garment down and you walked in there to see it with your own eyes to see what happened. That is a That's an awesome story. Yeah, I uh and you end up catching a trophy tom. Yeah, definitely. And and you learned something with your dog. Your dog, your dog built trust in you, at that point. Yep. And 
your dog built trust and and you built trust in your dog knowing that you've got a trash broke count and it's because you weren't afraid to put your pack on get in the mountain get on the mountain and see exactly what's going on rather than just staring at the screen in my opinion as much as i love these garments they have taken a lot of the houndsmen out of houndsmen um, between these and social media oh here we go it, it is <laughs> it, the, these and social media have probably crippled our sport more than more than anything i'm going to take a different stand on that i'm going to, i'm going to come at that at a different angle <laughs> because it, maybe not maybe i shouldn't say crippled no stand your ground here change it i hear i hear for what sure. you yeah i hear what you're saying it's changed it um My feeling on it is, and I hunted back before, when I first, my first hound, those hounds that I showed you pictures of yesterday, had no collars on them other than the, the collar. name the, tags. The name tags on yeah. them. Yeah. Um, I'm dating myself, but wow. I remember the days of not having telemetry. And then I remember my first telemetry, and then I remember my first tracking system, uh, or my first uh, GPS system that I got. And, and now, the thing that I saw when I got my GPS... And maybe it's because I'd hunted so long, so much without that luxury. It's like, man, this thing is enhancing my ability to know what's going on with my dogs. You know, before, oh, before you just sure. see them out there running around and now you're, you know, you're listening to a dog to a hound open. It, it does connect some dots. It does. That's what it does. It, for sure. And what you're saying is. What, what I'm getting at is, uh anybody can go buy one of these go buy a, a quote finished dog and now they're houndsmen they, they go turn you think them, the they term go houndsman, turn them loose you on think a track people, you think people use the term houndsman too cheap i do i i i think that there's a fair amount of people out there that don't know the difference between a houndsman and Somebody that hunts with hounds, it uses them as a tool, right. like we said before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that's always been my feeling too, and that's what we've tried to. And I'm not. I don't want to get a bunch of hate over this. I don't want to beat people up because they went and bought a Garmin and a hound. They're they're they didn't, maybe that's the only way they knew how to get into the sport, and right. I think that's great. Um, but I think there's a lot of learning. Like I, I guess. The way I grew up is I got a pup that that was born from my dad's hounds, didn't know nothing, and I had to go teach it how to make make successful hunts. Mm-hmm. And I learned probably as much or more doing that than my hound did. I, I probably screwed up a lot of hounds. I definitely did. Doing it. And I'm probably still screwing hounds up. <laughs> uh, no, not. I, I, can, I can say that I... But every every single track you run, you are building that database. You, it goes back to what I said a little bit ago about finding something. You drive the same road every day. Find something that you don't didn't see the day before. Every track you run, try and learn something new because just you know just when you think you got it figured out 
something new happens. You can't control they, it. They they throw wolves in there, or they or you run into elk or deer, or you know, I mean, it's just you it's stuff you can't control, and it changes. Every track is different. I yep. mean, there's every track has similarities, but every track is different. Yeah, I, I used to hunt. I, there was a man uh, in East Tennessee. He's a legend in the plot breed. His name's Barry Tarleton. I'm still good friends with his grandson and his great-grandson. And these plots back here have some of that some of that blood running through him. But, but Barry had hunted so much, and he hunted the old way too. I mean, back when he started hunting, it was all following hounds through the mountains on foot, no tracking collars. You know, I remember coming around a bend. I was going to write an article about this. I haven't done it yet, so maybe I won't have to now. But um, I came down through a laurel hell off of a out of a mountain. I was walking, coming off of a bear tree, and uh, Barry is sitting down there with a cow's horn, and he's blowing this cow's horn because he's still training his dogs to come back to My the horn. My dad used to use one. And uh, but Barry knew he'd ran so many bears in that country, he could tell when they were going to you know which low gap they were going to cross, and a, a lot of times he was right. You know if it, he would. And he was 82 years old and wasn't actively out on the mountain, uh, but he was there every day. And he would, he would. Which way are they headed? <laughs> oh, they're headed up Piper Creek. Yeah. Well, he's going to cross at the head and probably that low gap right there and drop over into Horse Creek. And sure enough, there he goes. You yeah. know. So even though everything's different, you still use that experience. But here's what I was going to say about Garmin and new hunters. You know, I think we are on the. We we are in a, living in an age right now where I think we've seen the pendulum swing as far as it can to the left towards a, a, a culture that doesn't understand where their meat comes from. To it's going to start come crashing back. Yeah, it now. has it has to. I'm going to stop. I'm overheating here and got to take a shirt off. Oh, I thought your truck was overheating. But uh, I'll finish my thought while you're doing that, and I'll ramble on and pontificate here. That's a good word, pontificate. Uh, bloviate might be a word, but we've seen that pendulum swing as far as it can. And then with this COVID stuff, you look at what's going on in our culture. All the gardening supplies are gone. The meat shortages, you know, we had this perceived meat shortage, which I see, I saw 6 million cows between here and Indiana. So we've got plenty of meat, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it hasn't been readily available so people are looking more to the land to figure out how to live, more so than I've seen in ages. And I, I really think we, if we handle this right as a hunting community and bring these people in and show them how to do this stuff, it's a golden age. It's like the golden age of conservation from the 1930s all over again. If we see it, if we're not greedy, if we don't get worked up about Oh, what's this guy doing parked up here? What's this? Yeah. And that's hard. That's hard for me. I don't want to drive up. I do not want to drive up this trail and meet another hound dogger today. Yeah. You know, I don't. <laughs> but if I want to see my lifestyle continue on into the future, I really should be hoping that I drive up here and there's a couple 16, 17, 18-year-old kids with a few hounds and, and a pickup truck and they've got garments in their hands. I got to look at that as an opportunity for me to to talk to them about it. If I see if I see hikers up here, I'm, I want to stop and I want to talk to those people and let them see our hounds and let them see that you know 
Diablo and Cajun like to get their ears scratched, just like just like your little fat Springer yep. Spaniel there. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that is one thing people ask me all the time. And I see if I get a strike on that chipmunk. <laughs> people ask it. me that a lot. Like, are your hounds nice? Can I pet them? Um, and and I get it when they're in a truck. I, I understand that because I don't like petting people's dogs when they're in a truck because. Like that cow dog in the back, he would never hurt a fly, but he looks meaner than all get out when he's in that truck. Oh, yeah. he. Um, and I don't know what he would do if I wasn't in the truck or standing there. He, he yeah. may bite somebody. I don't know. I've never tested it out. But um, that's kind of one of the big misconceptions that I see a lot is people think hounds are mean because right, they right. chase bears and lions. And I think that's part of the perception that we have an opportunity to change right now. You know, turkey turkey licenses were up 30 to 40% this spring. Uh, fishing licenses are, are through the roof. Fishing tackle sales are at an all-time high. Um, people are looking for opportunities, and, and pe- there are more people in our national forests than, than what we have seen in a long time. So... Let's take advantage of that and let's reset. Let's control the narrative here, who we are and what we do and why we do it, and let them see our dogs. And I wrote an article recently and posted it on our Patreon page, and um, it talks about that very thing. We've got to seize the moment as a hunting community and control this narrative. Don't let Disney define who we are and don't let the anti-hunting crowd define who we are and what yeah. our dogs are. These dogs are... Make, let's make our own face. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've got a great opportunity to do that right now because the public is hungry right now and they want to know what's going on. But if we, you know, if we see somebody and we don't stop and we don't wave and we don't speak, then we've just reinforced the narrative they heard. We're mysterious. And, and, and that's a shout out to those houndsmen hunters of any caliber of you know be be our face yeah. be, be our good face not don't give them a reason to to think otherwise i said uh, we talked about this but i'll say it again on on the podcast you know everybody wants to come out and say we need more hounds or, you know we need more people in hunting we need we need people we need numbers we need well, the right people exactly i would trade i would trade out of out of out of 10 new hunters we just need one good one yeah you know and then and then we need to teach the other nine see and 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 i'll i'll back that up i guess and say that that goes for everything in this world people are going to pick out for for some reason, people are going to pick out the people that don't do it the right way, and they the the bad ones or the, the well, they bad try to face. exploit it. They um, try to exploit it for agendas or whatever. The animal hunting crowd, animal rights crowd, is going to going to scour Facebook and find that one guy that they don't like, and they're not they're going to take stuff out of context. And, and that's the textbook for hounds. Yeah, in their yeah. eyes, and it's like, well, let us let us prove that wrong. Yeah, let, let us. Well, the thing that we can do by doing that, by by making that, taking taking five minutes and stopping along with a family that's out for a hike and talking to them, How you now doing, when they see that garbage come across on YouTube or social media, 
now they've got something to base their knowledge on. And they, they're starting to think, man, those the guys, I met some houndsmen, they weren't like that. Yeah. Those guys oh, weren't like sure. that. So, yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Man, I wish, I, I was hoping we'd get a bear strike by now. <laughs> yeah. We've hoping. talked philosophy for a long time. Yeah, no kidding. But um, uh, I'll tell you what, I think we better uh, we probably got, put a cap on this one, Michael. Yeah. You got anything sure. else you need to get out there off your chest? Any any philosophies you want to share? Nope. I think I... If you had one, if you had one thing that you wanted to tell houndsmen, the most valuable lesson that you've ever you learned... As a houndsman, what is it? What would you want to share with somebody? Don't ever stop learning. Uh, you, you can always, no matter how good you are, you can always be better. Um, learn from your hounds. Le- learn from your bad hounds. Learn from your good hounds. Learn from them, all of them. I mean, just, that I I try to be a, as big of a sponge as I can. Just, uh, just always keep learning because that's what's that's what's going to make you better and i don't know if you if you get to the point to where you think you know it all and you can't learn anymore from i mean learn something from somebody way younger than you and way older than you and i mean take it all in learn learn as much as you can because you just uh you i uh, for me I, I always strive to be better mm-hmm. um, and to learn from everybody I can. So just keep on keep on trying to make yourself better, and that's going to improve our our uh, hound community. Yep. Yep, I agree, and that is – that's just good good lesson for life in general. Yep. You know, everything, whether it's being a parent, whether it's being a – you know, being an employee, whether it's being a hunter, whether it's being a deer hunter or a houndsman or whatever, you know. For sure. You just never, if if you stop learning before you draw your last breath, you've <laughs> cheated yourself in life. Yeah. You really have. You really have. Well, Michael, we're going to go up here and um, keep moving up this trail here. and We may end up striking a bear, which we bet, I hope we do. But if, if it's got cubs with it, it may turn into a split race. And maybe we'll maybe we'll end up treeing treeing a double up here. But what I, when we turn these dogs loose, make sure that you're going to follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine. Yes, sir. 